Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome. Uh, it's easy to forget CNN dumped a lot of people who are still commenting on politics from a less prominent place. Um, they may not be watching CNN anymore. Chris Saliza tweeted, as a former insider, I am here to tell you the mainstream media is making a critical mistake in election coverage in 2024. They are ignoring the threat Donald Trump and his cohorts pose, and we must address this. Has he watched any television in the last couple of months, like since he, CNN let him go? That's really one of their favorite topics is, we must all reassure each other that Trump is a danger. We must all report it as dangerous. We were on our staff meeting today at Newsbusters and was all, well, how drastically are going to break in for any time Trump shows up in a courtroom? The idea that they're not, they're ignoring the threat of Trump? I mean, come on, bud. And then, of course, in electoral news, many people laughed at, Nikki Haley loses Nevada primary to none of the above. Well... Don't we all know who none of the above was? You know, should she be any more embarrassed than Dean Phillips that he lost to Biden as a write-in? It's kind of the same energy. And that is the party base is going to do what they think is best. They're the ones that want a Trump versus Biden rematch. I mean, yeah, she'd prefer to win. But they, they had this weird scenario where Nevada has a primary and Nevada has a caucus and you can't be in both. That's just a mess. But, you know, obviously the question is, do any of these individual states matter? The media thinks Trump is the presumptive nominee. Technically, he's far from being the presumptive nominee until, of course, Nikki Haley decides she's not going to run anymore. In that case, he would be the presumptive nominee. But obviously, I think we've got a few more weeks at least of Haley running. I know she just raised 800 grand in California. She just appeared on Saturday Night Live. She's not going away yet. But, uh, you know, keep hope alive when you're MAGA. The, um, then there's the story of Tucker Carlson. You know, Dan Schneider, our vice president for Free Speech America, and I appeared on Newsmax on Monday on the Chris Salcedo show. And the big story was Tucker Carlson's at the Kremlin and the never Trumpers are very unhappy. Newsmax showed tweets from Bill Crystal saying Tucker shouldn't be allowed back in the country. And Adam Kinzinger saying Tucker's a traitor. Now, I don't think it's a great idea to interview anti-American tyrants. That's pretty much what I said on Newsmax. But journalists do this. Obviously, there's a lot of people that want to huff and puff and say, Tucker Carlson's not a journalist. Well, this is kind of what we say a lot of the time about people on CNN or MSNBC or the softball throwers at the White House briefing room. Mary Bruce, is, they, is she a journalist? Manu Raju, really? I mean, it's, it's the way people sort of disparage each other. The proof is in the pudding. What kind of interview is Tucker Carlson going to get? 
What is he going to ask Putin? Is it going to be like Tucker Carlson's interviews with Trump? Then you could have an issue. I'm going to ask you a question and let you talk for five and a half minutes. You know, sort of like Katie Couric with Kamala Harris. I mean, my mind, of course, went to Dan Rather and Saddam Hussein. And Dan Rather asked a bunch of dumb questions. The dumbest one was, uh, Mr. Saddam, say something for us in English, which he failed to do. <laughs> but uh, anybody who thinks you're a traitor for in, in, you know interviewing a foreign dictator uh, thought Barbara Walters was a traitor. Barbara Walters did that all the time. Hugo Chavez, Fidel Castro. That's what it's kind of the Barbara Walters gig. Lots of actual journalists went down and interviewed Fidel Castro in Havana or when he visited New York. So the question isn't so much that they're doing it. I can, I think it's a little distasteful. It's one thing for you to say, Donald Trump's an authoritarian, and then interview authoritarians and be more polite to them. I, last night, Tuesday's NBC Nightly News, Lester Holt interviewed Iran's ambassador to the United Nations. Does Adam Kinzinger consider Lester Holt a traitor? Bill Crystal can't advocate that we shouldn't let him back into the USA because he never left. Now, Lester's done a series of these uh, uh, interviews with Iranian leaders of one type or another. Some of them have been way too soft for us, certainly compared to the way Lester Holt or Kristen Welker interviewed Trump. This one last night was pretty informational. Um, the questions were direct. They weren't hostile, but they were direct. Uh, you know, and he got gaslighting answers. You know, if you tell Hamas not to shoot something, will they listen? Oh, no, they're very independent. You know, <laughs> but the point here being. You can't sit on NBC and say you should never interview, you know, tyrannical regimes. Iran is a tyrannical regime. They'll pretend like, oh, yes, there was a there was an election. Yes, yeah, Saddam Hussein. We had silly ABC News reporters going, Saddam Hussein was elected with 99.5% of the vote. The other 0.5% were executed. Speaking of Kinzinger... Alex Christie notes, Joanne Reed is on a book tour for her book on civil rights leader Medgar Evers. Alex was like, do a lot of people know Medgar Evers? I'm going to guess no. I mean, I learned about him in high school, but he's definitely not as famous as, as Martin Luther King or Malcolm X. Some people call that the Trinity, you know, Medgar Evers. So, so Joy has written a book about Medgar Evans, Evers and his wife, Merely. Uh, and she did 10 minutes on PBS with Jeff Bennett. It stuck to the 60s. But here again, this is Joy Reid selling a book. PBS is willing to help liberals and leftists sell a book. You know, Jeff Bennett started in NPR. Then he went over to NBC slash MSNBC. So him interviewing Joy Reid's like two colleagues having coffee. I mean, and that was the tenor of it. But Joy also went on Stephen Colbert. And they couldn't just stick to Medgar Evers because it's a comedy show. They had to discuss modern day profiles in courage. 
This is where uh, Joanne said, I disagree with Adam Kinzinger. I disagree with Liz Cheney vehemently on their politics, but that's political courage to stand up to your party, to stand up for your country. This is not the official MSNBC position on Dean Phillips. (laughs) He's standing up to his party for his country and saying Joe Biden's lost it. He's not a patriot. Uh, But, you know, I I listen to this, and the first thing you think is, when Joy Reid is praising you and you're a Republican, you're probably not a Republican anymore. You know, Uh, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger aren't in Congress anymore, so they can't cast any conservative votes that Joy vehemently disagrees with. All we're getting now is Liz and Adam on television saying anti-Trump things. This kind of reminds me of what I used to think about John McCain. Now, John McCain, if you looked at his American Conservative Union voting record, was a very conservative congressman and senator from Arizona for a while. And then he became a bit of a media darling. When he ran for president, my goodness, he really kind of became a liberal Republican. And so there is this sort of difference between your voting record, especially your historic voting record, and the way you sound on TV, what you might call your rhetorical candidacy or your rhetorical, you know, reign. I mean, so Liz Cheney and Anne McKinsinger, rhetorically, they're Democrats, they're leftists. I mean, because they say the same things that the Democrats on CNN and MSNBC say, but they're supposed to have more weight because they are slash were Republicans. But that's at this point, this is where we are. Adam Kinzinger thinks Tucker Carlson's a traitor. He also would say Donald Trump's a traitor, you know, and that's the kind of thing you throw because basically what he's trying to do is say, me, Adam Kinzinger, I'm a super patriot. I was in the military, you know. It's a nice pose. Now, you know, there were some people calling for Tucker Carlson to be arrested. This is where we turn to Elon Musk, the owner of Twitter slash X. He tweeted, arrest those calling for his arrest. (laughs) We're all getting a little too hyped here. Let journalism flow. There's an excellent point, by the way, that if Tucker Carlson says nobody else has interviewed Putin, well, obviously there's a lot of left-wing media people who would like to uh, interview Putin since the invasion of Ukraine. Obviously, before the invasion of Ukraine, Megyn Kelly interviewed Putin, other people interviewed Putin. We're talking about more recently. Well, obviously, yeah, these people would all like to get their licks in on Putin. They'd like to strike that pose. And their assumption is that Tucker is going to be soft. Like, Tucker won't ask about Paul Whelan or the the, the American hostages in, in Russia. Okay, well, that's a good test. But uh, Tom Olihan at MRC Business reports that Elon Musk is now on his uh, Twitter platform Ripping the Biden administration on the border. On February 3rd, Elon Musk tweeted, Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas issued written guidance making it clear that illegal presence alone is not grounds for deportation. And then he added, criminal charges, convictions, or gang membership alone are not enough for deportation. You basically have to be a convicted axe murderer to be deported. That's because... Every deportation is a lost vote. Ha, this is where you get on the wrong side of those so-called independent fact-checkers. 
Musk uh, tweeted over Matt Walsh that the Biden strategy is to get as many illegals in the country as possible and legalize them to create a permanent majority. Naturally, PolitiFact got involved. You can't say negative things about Biden. False. And this is where you just laugh at them because you're like, Alejandro Mayorkas can say repeatedly the border is secure. Bill D'Agostino made the video medley. Karine Jean-Pierre could say the border is secure. No fact checks at PolitiFact. In fact, in his career, certainly in his career as a Biden official, Mayorkas has one fact check, and that's back in March of 2021, almost three years ago. Alejandro claimed on ABC the border surge is challenging because the immigration system that had been in place for decades was dismantled in its entirety by the Trump administration. They called this a half-true? Did they dismantle ICE? Did they dismantle the border patrol? I mean... How on earth is this half true? But this is what happens. You know, Alejandro Mayorkas is a good guy in the eyes of PolitiFact. So they're much more likely to go out and do fact checks defending Mayorkas or defending Biden. That's what they do. You know, PolitiFact just celebrated. They did their 1,000th fact check of Trump. That's what they do. Hundreds of pants on fires. You know, that's what they do. Uh, anyway, I I got to tell you this as while well, we're still on Elon. The Twitter account A Newsman, who I follow, uh, ha- has a fun thing here now. He has a, a visual of Oliver Darcy tweeting in July of last year. X marks the end, period. Twitter is dead, period over a tweet from Elon Musk today saying, X is now the number one most downloaded app of any kind. Sucks to be Darcy. Uh, One other thing uh, uh, I was working on, the New York Times on Monday on the front page had one of those stories on courageous librarians fighting the conservative Christians. Headline, culture wars put librarians on front lines. Oh, yeah, they're G.I. Joe with Kung Fu grip. Combating book bans and threats of jail. That's not, guys, there's no need to put librarians in jail. And there's no reason to, to call in bomb threats. You know, they always do this. This is what the New York Times wants to do. Oh, the conservative Christians are triggering. Whenever they oppose something, then some jackass calls and wants people dead. NBC News has a new piece today. You know, libs of TikTok leads to bomb threats. That's it's like the second time they've done this. I just would have to suspect, I haven't done this study. You went looking for bomb threats. It's always about how liberals and leftists are facing bomb threats. Abortionists are facing bomb threats. Librarians. Democrat members of Congress, uh, conservatives, Republicans, not really. They're, you know, they don't talk about those courageous conservatives that face threats of violence. And you, sometimes you begin to suspect, are these bomb threats real? Do they exist? If they exist, like you put them on tape, are they actually hostile or are they fake 
threats. I know. Well, it's the same thing you sort of ask about anonymous sources in general, right? It's an anonymous threat. They don't generally say, I'm Charlie Stewing Stavilek from Oklahoma City. Come get me. Uh, but, you know, it, anonymous sources. Are we supposed to just trust what was said? Uh, we're Obviously, we're supposed to. Anyway, it's interesting. They had this article that went on for 2,600 words. And it started with how there was a rainbow squad of teenagers meeting at the library in Idaho, Post Falls, Idaho. And, you know, also there were other conservative jerks in Pella, Iowa. And in this, I think it was Clinton, Tennessee. And here's what's really funny. I want to, you know, while it, they take the entire page A16 with color photos, but we, ought, we have to know that book bans are also come from the left. One of them, for example, is the book Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier, which is all about transgenderism and the seduction of our daughters. Oh, they hate the conspiracy sound of that. Now, so here's what was interesting I found when I was doing this whole thing. The, uh, the story on the front page was by Elizabeth Williamson. So then I was like, oh, okay, well, let's go back and see what other articles she's written recently. Posted on the same day, February 3, an 800-word story on a town in Maine, Blue Hill, Maine, where the lefties are fighting the library to stop irreversible damage by Abigail Schreier. Now, that story did not appear on the front page. I couldn't find it in the paper. It was just 800 words. And the obvious question, why wouldn't the New York Times just take these two stories and merge them and say, book bans from two sides? But, you know, no, the front page is the anti-conservative narrative. The narrative is everything. You know, and the comparatively hidden fraction about Maine would upset Times subscribers so you can't put that on the front page. Here's another hot story as we approach the Super Bowl. Once again, the White House announced they will forego the tradition of a Super Bowl pregame interview of the president. As Curtis Houck mentioned, it's one thing for them to be afraid of Fox News, but Obama donor Gail King on CBS... I mean, remember, last year, Fox tried to say, well, we have this channel, this little channel called Fox Soul, and you can be interviewed, Mr. President, by Vivica A. Fox, the actress who actually voted for you, and they still said no. They're that afraid of putting Biden out there. But we, we really got a kick out of this once Farsi Oliver Darcy got involved, and he reported... Biden's advisors have said the decision to skip the interview was because they wanted to give the already fatigued public a break from politics during the big game. Well, that sounds admirable. But, you know, generally in the tradition of these things, the game starts at 630 and they put on the interview with the president at like 510 or 430, you know, the endless pregame. So if you just tuned in to watch the game, you're going to miss it anyway. Then uh, uh, an official told Darcy they believe the value of the interview has dropped given has it over the years has shifted from a more lighthearted media opportunity to a politics-focused affair. Well, that's telling you something. 
Um, if it was a lighthearted media opportunity like Drew Barrymore, we might do it. But if it's politics focused, no, 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 no. Now, remember, this is not an old tradition. This really kicked in under Obama. He always enjoyed just the massive audience and the way he was going to generally be idolized by the interviewer. But, you know, Obama granted it to, to Bill O'Reilly, apparently twice. But Biden can't even take Gail King, Obama donor. <laughs> and then the, they said to Darcy, we are being more creative, a Biden advisor told me, and relying less on formulas of the past. We are becoming less traditional because less people get their news from traditional mediums than ever before. Well, look, this is kind of a stupid claim because if you're looking to get news out in a non-traditional way, how about the biggest football game and the biggest television show with the broadest possible audience? But he's like, no, no, no. We're talking to TikTok influencers. You know, it's like... Okay, I understand that you're going after the youth vote and all that, but this is just you making elaborate excuses for we're not going to put this guy on because Lord knows what he'll say. And this is what I really got a kick out of is then uh, Darcy writes this. This was maybe the funniest line. Advisors point to interviews Biden did last year with CBS News correspondent Scott Pelley for 60 Minutes and CNN anchor Fareed Zakaria ahead of the G7 gathering. They called these hard-hitting sit-downs with tough journalists. Really? I mean, again, did you watch these interviews? We have the takedowns here on Newsbusters. Scott Pelley softballs, Fareed Zakaria softballs. Oh, you're so wise, Mr. President. You don't get to say Tucker Carlson's not a journalist until you actually watch Fareed Zakaria with Biden. On CNN, Darcy's CNN. Darcy gets upset that Trump gets a town hall when Biden gets a suck-up interview with Fareed Zakaria. It's two plagiarists having a nice time. And then this was also a stupid line. President Biden is crisscrossing the country at a rate that often exceeds his predecessor's travel schedules. Huh? Hey, PolitiFact, I got one for you. Is Biden crisscrossing the country more than Obama? More than Trump when he was president? Maybe under COVID he was doing less. There's no excuse now. But I, you know, I think... The question you have to ask yourself is, we all know why Biden's not doing these, because he bumbles and stumbles and makes gaffes and sometimes gets angry at the reporters for asking just the slightest bit of a challenging question. He gets really cranky. That's why they don't want him on. Let's be cynical. Why wouldn't the Biden people keep skipping high-profile interviews? The media has no self-respect. They don't care. You know, this is the double standard is they all marched around under Trump and said, we must hold him accountable. We must make, you know, we, it's all really important for us to challenge him and accuse him of mass murder for COVID. And now it's all like, no, it's okay. Biden can go talk to TikTok influencers. We're good. There's no heroism now. Democracy died in darkness, I guess. Finally, there's this column I did, the Wall Street Journal opinion section drew a pile of angry comments when it read an article from the executive director of the uh, memory, M-E-M-R-I, the Middle East Media Research Institute, 
Um, they focus on really finding dramatically anti-Semitic or jihadi type comments. They, they find the videos, videos of interviews, videos of protests. And so they, 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 the article was headlined, Welcome to Dearborn, America's Jihad Capital. That's just right there. Six words. That's what sent them all into a tizzy. But here's the subhead. Imams and politicians in the Michigan city side with Hamas against Israel and Iran against the U.S. That subhead accurately describes the article's content, that a bunch of imams in Dearborn are crazy Hamas activists and that the mayor of Dearborn, the, a Democrat mayor of Dearborn, came out and said Dearborn is a city of resistance against Israel and against, I mean, that's an American ally, so against America. One of these imams in one of these statements explicitly said, I have my warmest congratulations to our very special leader, Imam Khamenei. That's the leader of Iran. That's the guy who's the wind beneath the wings of Hamas and Hezbollah. What is that? Isn't that backing jihad? Oh, but you can't use the words jihad capital. So who got all upset? Well, I noticed Mehdi Hassan, former MSNBC host, was all upset tweeting, the same right-wing outlets who warn of rising anti-Semitism, and yes, anti-Semitism is on the rise, have no problem pushing horrendous Islamophobia and anti-Arab bigotry. This is what gets you mad, because they're really, again, objecting to two words. Mehdi Hassan is not going to take these on and say these imams, saying they love Iran, and, and October 7 was one of the days of God. That was another comment. How's he going to stick up for that? Yeah, that's anti-Semitism on the rise. And that's your your guys in Dearborn, Mr. Mady. And then, of course, I had to notice, there he was, NPR da media reporter David Falkenflick. Murdoch got involved or something, so he had to get in there because NPR hates Fox. Falkenflick retweeted, an executive at News Corp, a guy that was there from 2015 to 2017, his name is Joseph Azam. And Azam tweeted, years ago after I left News Corp and spoke to David Fulkenflick on the racism, Islamophobia, and xenophobia running rampant across Murdoch assets, I described the WSJ opinion pages as the ignorant hate-mongering you see in the New York Post but dressed in a tuxedo. I stand by that. Once again, if you go and read this article about Dearborn, America's jihad capital, there's nothing in there that is just, it's xenophobia and racism because I don't like what these guys are saying. These are accurate quotations. No one is challenging the accuracy of these things. They are on camera. And so you, obviously you challenge them. Mehdi Hassan, Fulkenflick, watch these. Tell me that there's anything wrong with these sentences, that this is not what they said. October 7 warms my heart, you know, or that kind of sentiment. And, of course, Biden put out a tweet over the weekend. Americans know that blaming a group of people based on the words of a small few is wrong. Well, this is where you go back to it and you're like, okay, a small few were quoted. 
but these are the imams of Dearborn and the mayor of Dearborn. And then he says, this is exactly what can lead to Islamophobia and anti-Arab hate. And it shouldn't happen to the residents of Dearborn or any American town. We must continue to condemn hate in all forms. Yeah, this from Biden, who's a hater. This from the guy who called the Republicans Jim Crow 2.0 when when he was a young senator, he sucked up to Jim Crow 1.0. But he can say the Republicans are Jim Crow 2.0 and the independent politifact will say nothing. Uh, and then Curtis Houck reports in the February 6th press briefing, ABC's Selena Wang tossed a wiffle ball to Corrine Jean-Pierre. What's the White House's reaction to that controversial Wall Street Journal op-ed? Notice they always use the word controversial to say stuff we disagree with. They're not going to say something controversial that a left-winger said. They're not going to call it controversial. They might call it righteous, courageous, bold. They're not going to call it controversial. You know, William Simon was Treasury Secretary, I guess, under Gerald Ford. I used to read several of his books when I was young. And he made this point. He said, when I read the news, I thought my first name was controversial. Like William was my middle name. Controversial William Simon said today. <laughs> it's kind of a good joke. Anyway. This is kind of a stupid question. What's the White House reaction to the Wall Street Journal? Biden tweeted it. She knew what the White House reaction was. She was basically ginning up Jean-Pierre to say it again. Jean-Pierre called the article dangerous and unacceptable and said, we will stand with the people of Dearborn on this issue. Well, then you're standing up for jihad. Many Muslims in Dearborn call the president genocide Joe, but Selena Wang at ABC isn't going to ask about that. She's just like Mary Bruce. We don't ask challenging questions. We're the Mickey Mouse channel. Let's point this out again. The mayor of Dearborn and the imams of Dearborn are supported by the people of Dearborn. Not everybody. The term jihad capital doesn't imply that everybody who lives in Dearborn is a jihadi. It just implies it's a bit of a hotspot for Hamas which it is people can't handle the truth so good for the wall street journal i guess for publishing that wall street journal publishes articles with people they don't really agree with sometimes you know just to get people to read them uh, but i think they have more diversity of opinion on those opinion pages than you're going to get uh in the uh in the washington post or the new york times generally you know, the Washington Post has conservatives. They don't like putting them actually on the op-ed page. You have to go to the website. The New York Times has conservative columnists like David Brooks and David French. <laughs> Brett Stevens. Oh, well, maybe. Uh, you know, Tom Cotton. You get fired for publishing Tom Cotton. But the New York Times will publish, you know, leaders of Hamas, Ayatollahs, Putin, Chinese dictators. Is the New York Times traitors when they publish our enemies on the op-ed page? Should the New York Times be allowed back into New York? We'll ask these maybe in the next Newsbusters podcast. So in the meantime, come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening.